This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. This week, Michigan heads to the ballot box for its presidential primary. And despite some not-so-great polling and a push for progressives to write in uncommitted instead, Joe Biden has the Democratic nod pretty much on lock. He's also got the funds to back it up. The Biden-Harris campaign is announcing a massive cash haul in its latest filings. It's actually, it's record-breaking for Democrats. The Democratic National Committee ended January with $24 million in cash, and Biden's got $56 million stashed in his main campaign committee. It is the highest total amount amassed by any Democratic candidate at this point in an election cycle, let's bring it right now. On the Republican side, things are messier, a lot messier. We saw FEC filings a few weeks ago that indicated that they have really struggled with their fundraising. That's Shelby Talcott. She reports on the Trump campaign for Semaphore. And so they do not have nearly as much money as the DNC has, particularly heading into an election cycle. And that is, I think, the, the big issue here that has sparked all of this drama within the RNC and really within the party as a whole. At 8.7 million, the RNC's reserves are the lowest they've been in nearly a decade. Since 2021, the committee has lost more than $80 million and one woman has shouldered most of the blame, RNC Chairwoman Ronna McDaniel. I understand being frustrated. Of course, we want to win. And I look at the RNC, though, and I'm proud of what we're doing. I mean, we're a turnout machine. We don't McDaniel has run the Republican National Committee since 2017, but the lack of cash and a recent slew of GOP losses means her job is on the chopping block. For months now, there's been a push from a lot of conservatives to oust Ronna McDaniel. Typically, Donald Trump has sort of stayed out of this when it comes to, to Ronna McDaniel, but this time around, he um, sort of conceded that it's time for new leadership. I think she did okay initially in the RNC. I would say right now, uh, there'll probably be some changes made. Today, Ronna McDaniel announced she's planning to step down March 8th. Reporting indicates that a wave of low- and mid-level staffers are going with her. And in their place, Trump plans to install two hardcore loyalists and his own daughter-in-law, Lara. And in that sense, you will have the top three people at the RNC be extremely close 
Trump allies. I mean, one of whom is, you know, part of his family. And so I do think that there's an argument to be made that this would be sort of a, a Trump takeover of the RNC. Today on the show, why the RNC is strapped for cash and how Trump plans to make the committee his latest acquisition. I'm Mary C. Curtis, in for Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next. Stick around. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Tell me about the woman in the hot seat, RNC Chair Ronna McDaniel. When did she get involved with RNC leadership? And how has the RNC been run under her tenure? So Ronna McDaniel is seen as sort of a Republican political strategist. She joined the RNC as chair in 2017. Her background, she's a member of the Romney family. She chaired the Michigan State Party before becoming chair of the RNC. And throughout her tenure, there's been some backlash to how she's run things, particularly in the past few years, because of how Republicans have underperformed. And some people have laid the blame directly on her for that. Ronna McDaniel has been under fire from her party's right flank for years. MAGA activists like Steve Bannon and Charlie Kirk painted her as a member of the establishment who doesn't represent Republicans' base. They're headquartered in Washington, D.C. They're consultant heavy. 40 to 50 percent of all the money they raise goes towards uh, raising more money, actually. I do not think the current RNC leadership has earned the trust of the American grassroots or donors to say, keep on giving us money. It's time for us to start to create it ourselves. But things started looking bad for McDaniel after Republicans' underwhelming performance in the 2022 midterms. Pundits had been forecasting a red wave. Instead, Democrats held the Senate, and Republicans gained one of the slimmest majorities in the history of the House of Representatives. I asked Shelby if a bad election performance is really the party chair's fault. I think the accurate answer is there's a lot of blame to go around. You could blame Ronna McDaniel for maybe not doing enough or focusing uh, on other things or spending money on, on things that are not races could also blame Donald Trump, who endorsed a lot of these failed candidates and who there's a strong argument that people have made that some of the people he endorsed were just not good picks. You can also blame, you know, sort of the Republican Party overall for the kind of candidates that it has propped up in these races. So I think some of the blame could be laid at Ron McDaniel's feet, but certainly not all of it. But she kind of became the fall guy. Yes, I I think for a little bit, actually, Donald Trump was the fall guy. And and after Donald Trump sort of rose to power again within the party and gained the confidence of people, it sort of reverted back to Ronna McDaniel. 
But she was elected again and again. She's in her fourth two-year term as chair, right? Correct. And that was controversial as well. The last election, one of the main people she was facing was Harmeet Dillon, who is another, you know, staunch Trump ally. And the criticism was that typically people don't run this many times for this position. And because of how Republicans have done under her tenure, that she should step down. But at the same time, she had enough support from the voting members and she was elected again. Part of the reason McDaniel survived previous attacks on her leadership was that she always had Trump's support. The relationship between the two could be complicated. Trump was frustrated that McDaniel didn't endorse his 2020 election fraud claims more forcefully and got upset when she testified before the January 6th committee. But for a long time, McDaniel managed to keep the former president happy enough throughout her tenure. That relationship started to sour last year. Trump put a ton of pressure on the RNC not to hold debates and blame McDaniel for hosting them anyway. And then, a few weeks ago, some filings from the Federal Election Commission became public, and the story they told about the RNC did not look good for McDaniel. They revealed that they had the least cash on hand in a decade. Um, And that's a really big problem heading into an election cycle, particularly when you have the DNC, which has massive amounts of money um, and is already using that money to prop up President Joe Biden in an election year. And at the winter meeting in January, uh, I think the RNC members reportedly voted to take out a $10 million line of credit. Yeah, and that's the other thing is how much money is the RNC having to sort of borrow in all of this, which, of course, would push them back even further for the future. So this isn't just about the presidential election. This is about sort of the RNC operation as a whole um, going forward and how much, you know, money that fundraising is going to uh, get in the future will be spent on, you know, paying back these sorts of things. And that's just not the position that you want this massive organization to be in. So just where did all the RNC money go? It's a good question. I I mean, they spent, allegedly spent a ton of money on $300,000 on office supplies, over a million dollars on management consulting, you know, $200,000 plus on limo rentals, $70,000 on flowers, which is actually lower than what it spent during the 2022 election cycle by a significant amount, if that tells you something. So that was one of the major red flags that Ronna McDaniel critics pointed to was this is a ton of money in a cycle when they don't have a lot of money that's being used for these sort of random things that People were essentially asking, how does this help us elect more Republicans? You've noted that through a lot of hurdles, McDaniel did manage to stay in Trump's good graces. When did that really start to change? I think there were times like the relationship ebbed and flowed, but I really do think Trump lost full confidence in Ronna McDaniel when those FEC filings came out earlier this year. I think that was sort of the tipping point. He is most likely going to be the Republican nominee. He knows that. Um, He knows the RNC is supposed to play a really big role in helping him get elected. And, you know, if Donald Trump likes one thing, it's having a lot of money. So I think when he saw those numbers, that's sort of when 
all of that criticism that he had been hearing about from people close to him and and Trump allies who have been wanting to oust Ron McDaniel for a long time really uh, started registering. But at the same time, I think it's really interesting because even now when he has called for new leadership, he has not really directly attacked her. And I think that speaks volumes to the close relationship they've historically had. She even had a meeting with him at Mar-a-Lago last month prior to all of this officially publicly going down, um, which indicates that even though he is calling for somebody else to replace her, they spoke about it. You know, there is some sort of an agreement there um, and they do maintain a, a reasonable relationship because I'm sure as as all of you know, you know, Donald Trump is very quick to criticize people that he feels are disloyal to him. So if if the relationship had soured, I think everybody would um, hear about it. After the break, who's going to fill McDaniel's shoes? Who are the people in line to take over the RNC? What can you tell me about them and what they're going to do? So there's three main people that Donald Trump has endorsed effectively. There's Michael Watley, who is the North Carolina Republican Party chair. He has been endorsed by Donald Trump to be chair of the RNC, so to take over Ronna McDaniel's job. We in North Carolina had a really good track record of, of election integrity and our efforts uh, with our ballot protection team over the course of the last election he cycle. Which is really, a uh, very close Trump ally who has, you know, repeatedly talked about Trump's election fraud allegations after the 2020 election. But he spent a lot of time in politics. He's been in politics for decades. He served in the George W. Bush administration. So he's been in Trump's orbit for a long time, but also just in Republican politics for a long time. And then you have Laura Trump, Donald Trump's daughter-in-law, who has been tapped to be his co-chair. She's obviously been very close to him for many years. Yeah, and she's married to Eric, right? Yes. And she is, you know, fully on board with Donald Trump. She's been involved in his elections in the past. Of course, this is, you know, always Donald Trump's presidential runs have historically be seen, been seen sort of as a family affair. Um, and that's something that she has publicly said she will bring to the RNC is that the RNC is going to be a family affair. If that's any indication of, you know, how things will be run over there. I will ensure that every penny of every dollar goes to the causes that we the people care about. Donald Trump is the 47th president. And then you have Chris Lasavita, who currently serves as Donald Trump's campaign advisor. And so he's been tapped to be COO. So that's chief operating officer. Correct. He is a longtime political consultant who has a, you know, very storied career in Republican politics. And he's just this sort of behind the scenes political operative who is very good at running campaigns. And it's been great. And you're right, Josh, that there's not much I haven't done in the campaign. There's not much I haven't seen 
in a campaign. Not much I haven't not seen happen on a campaign. <laughs> right. Um, things that will never go into the book. But, you know, because um, I'll never write one. But uh, So he will be sort of honing in on the money aspect and also trying to bring the Republican Party officially together and bring some of these warring factions um, to peace. Now, if and when Ronna McDaniel steps down, how would a leadership change play out? Trump can't simply anoint folks, right? Correct. So the RNC is supposed to have a spring meeting. It, it has been dubbed as a training meeting. Uh, we could see a change in leadership as soon as, you know, March 9th when that meeting concludes. This is all being talked about as a Trump takeover of the RNC. Is that true? Well, I think the argument could certainly be made. I mean, look, all three of these people that Donald Trump has uh, put forward to be in these positions, if they do, in fact, get elected, these are some of Trump's closest allies and closest confidants. How would that change the operation of the organization itself? That is the big question, and any answer we're going to discuss is going to be purely speculative because at the end of the day, we don't know exactly what the RNC under this new proposed leadership would do. Laura Trump has said that every single penny will go into electing Donald Trump, which isn't incredibly unusual, uh, you know, unless she means literally every single penny. But typically, <laughs> right, the DNC right now is is spending the majority of its money focusing on trying to elect, reelect uh, Joe Biden. But the big thing, I think, the big question and the things to look out for is, will the RNC spend money on Trump's legal defenses? And that is sort of the, I think, the biggest question mark in all of this going forward. What about that? Can they do that? So that's the ultimate question. And remember, Donald Trump's campaign is spending money on his legal defenses as well. So this is sort of something that he's, you know, he's tapped other entities besides himself to spend money on his legal defenses. And so it's it's going to be something that we're going to have to keep an eye out on is the honest answer. There's also a lot of reporting about how this change in leadership will really result in a purge of the RNC. How is the party likely to be remade? What will it look like? Well, that's a good question. I think, you know, I've I've seen that reporting as well. And um, there's been Trump allies who have said publicly that essentially anyone who is not significantly pro-Trump will be gone at the RNC. So that would be the staff level or committee members purge, the committee members purge would have to be through local party votes. So that might be a little bit more difficult. Uh, but in terms of staffers, we could see a lot of turnover. Shelby, you've done a lot of reporting on how these changes aren't just the RNC. Across the Republican infrastructure, everybody is falling in line behind Trump. Organizations like the Heritage Foundation, like Turning Point USA, they're all essentially becoming extensions of the Trump campaign. So is it noteworthy that he's now taking control of the party apparatus too? Yeah, I think I, I think that it is notable. You have all of these organizations that up until now have said that they were neutral when it comes to the presidential primaries. And now they are openly saying they expect the nominee to be Donald Trump. So you have all of these previously 
quote-unquote neutral organizations now saying, well, look, Donald Trump's clearly going to be the nominee um, and we're going to back him. And so the Republican Party has sort of seen this shift to all backing Donald Trump. And it seems like once that happens with the RNC in terms of this leadership, that that will sort of be complete, where the Republican Party will be Donald Trump's Republican Party again. Was all this inevitable? I'm not entirely sure, but I think, listen, Donald Trump has had such a hold over the Republican Party for so long. I do think that there was a time a year or two ago where he was sort of on the outs with the party and people had questions about his ability to lead. But they really squashed that quickly. And we've seen time and time again, Donald Trump sort of rise from the ashes, if you will. And I know that sounds dramatic, but really, right? You look at everything that's happened, 95% of those things would have knocked out any other lawmaker forever out of politics. And with Donald Trump, it seems like nothing, uh, you know, hurts him enough to be permanent. And so I think in a way... Yeah, it, maybe it is inevitable. Um, the Republican Party as a whole, I think, has really shifted in the past several years. And that is because in part of Donald Trump's leadership. We don't know yet how that will ultimately influence the RNC as a whole. But you have to remember that this is an organization that has been around for a long time and will continue to be around after Trump you know, no longer runs for president or is out of office or whatever might happen in the future. Uh, and so the question for that I have that I don't think anybody can accurately answer is, what does this mean for the future of the RNC? And will it continue to be super pro-Trump long after Donald Trump is gone? Thank you, Shelby Talcott, for coming on What Next? Happy to be here. Shelby Talcott is a reporter covering Trump and national Republicans for Semaphore. And that's the show. If you're a fan of What Next, the best way to support our work is to join Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. What Next is produced by Paige Osborne, Elena Schwartz, Rob Gunther, Anna Phillips, and Madeline Ducharme. We're led by Alicia Montgomery with a little help from Susan Matthews. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations here at Slate. And I'm Mary C. Curtis, columnist for Roll Call and host of its Equal Time podcast. Find me on Twitter. I'm at mcurtisnc3. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.